good morning again. If you would please turn in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. I'll be reading Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Blessed is the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant, and powerful word to our hearts and souls and our community. And so, Father, I ask again, glorify your name in the worship of our souls over the word this morning. Through Jesus Christ, amen. So at the beginning of verse 8, that first word, finally, that means Paul's arrived at the climax of his teaching on spiritual stability. In other words, the key to walking with the God of grace are these two verbs in the next two verses. Think. Here's the key. And practice. Verse 8, think about these things. He lays out eight of them. Verse 9, practice what I've taught and how I live. The clause, think about these things, or New American translation, it gets at it to dwell, dwell on. Be obsessed with these things. And by Paul saying this, now finally, use your thinking apparatus on such things unveils a really important Christian truth. And that's that spiritual stability is a result of how a person Thinks. The verb is imperative mood. It is a command. Proper thinking is not optional in the Christian life. The Greek word here that we translate think is logizomai. It, it means something just more than, oh yeah, I got something in my head. It, it, I'm entertaining a thought. It means to evaluate, to roll over and over, to ponder. Believers are called to consider the qualities that Paul lists here in verse 8 and to meditate on them and on their implications and how these words relate to the real world around us. 
The Bible is clear that people's lives are the product of what they think. The book of wisdom, Proverbs 23, 7, for as a person thinks within themselves, so he is. It's who they are. It's how they'll live. Garbage goes in, garbage comes out. Just as a computer, it only spits out what the programmer puts into it. And so people's actions ultimately are the results of their thinking process. And Jesus expresses the same truth this way in Mark 7, verse 20 to 23. What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And so here now, Paul's call for biblical thinking is extremely relevant for the culture in which we now live today. The culture all around us, its focus is not on truth. It's on manipulation. It's on winning. It's on emotion. It's on pragmatism, but not truth or serious thinking. And that has over decades crept into the church where serious thinking about biblical truths are downplayed in a whole lot of evangelical Christianity. Many people just don't ask nor really care, is it true? They want to know, does it work? Or how does it make me feel? And this perspective is very different than the Bereans in Acts chapter 17. Remember? Now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word preached with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if those things Paul said were true or so. But we live in a day and an age where many people go to church not to think, not to think about truths, the truths of Scripture, the truths of reality, but instead to get some kind of spiritual high or to feel good about themselves. And those people are spiritually unstable because they base their lives not on our text. They base their lives on their feelings. Rather than 
the verb. Thinking. Oh, feelings are good. And they do flow from thinking. God commands His people to think. He said to rebellious Israel in Isaiah, Come, let us reason together. Paul's custom in the Acts of the Apostles, you can just watch what Luke does as he walked with Paul in much of his ministry. Here's the picture of Paul constantly provoking his hearers to think. For instance, when he goes to Thessalonica in Acts chapter 17, we read, And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas in the city of Corinth in Acts 18. And he was reasoning in the synagogues every Sabbath and trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came down from Macedonia, Paul began devoting himself completely to the Word, solemnly testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Arguing, making, not meaning nasty, meaning making logical arguments from the text of Scripture and the testimony of eyewitnesses. In Ephesus, in Acts 19, Paul entered the synagogue and continued speaking boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of Christianity before the multitude, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus, and this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. And at the end of Acts, in Rome, in chapter 28, And when they had a set a day for Paul, they came to him at his lodging in large numbers. And he was explaining to them by solemnly testifying about the kingdom of God and trying to persuade them concerning Jesus from both the law of Moses and from the prophets from morning until evening. And some were being persuaded by the things spoken, but others would not believe. Why, Paul? Because he knows true worship, true faith in Christ. The walk of a Christian is always the result of the Christian's thinking. Christian living is based 
on the knowledge of the truth that we think about. And so Paul says, finally, think about these things. Think, isn't that how it works? Think about conversion to Christianity. Before any of us ever came to faith, the scripture's clear. Our thinking apparatus, our minds, were blinded by Satan. 2 Corinthians 4. Our, our minds, in other words, were focused on our sin nature, our flesh. We could not appreciate with our minds spiritual truths. Okay. That's every single person. That's why we don't ever come to faith unless the grace of God. And that means that the first thing that happens in conversion then is that a light goes on in our minds. A proper understanding of the truth of the gospel. It's the next thing Paul said. The God who created the universe and said, let there be light shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge we saw of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And Jesus himself said in Matthew 13, verse 19, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in the heart. And that's why Paul writes in Romans 10, 17, faith comes through hearing someone speaking the truth about Jesus. That's where faith comes from. And thus, faith comes from thinking about what they're saying when they're speaking. That's why Peter tells Christians to always be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. God saves people to be worshipers. And Jesus made it clear God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's impossible to worship God apart from your mind grasping, believing, knowing truth. Thinking is essential to saving faith and to ongoing sanctifying faith. Biblical faith is not an irrational leap in the dark. True faith is a reasoned response to truth that comes to the mind. And with Paul, some were persuaded and others were not. Salvation involves the transformation of the mind. And Paul says, for instance, in Romans 8, 5, 
Those who live, now here, here's the way the life, this is where it affects how you live your life. Th those who live making decisions day after day according to the flesh. Well, why are they doing that? According to the sinful nature, why are, they, why are they consistently, unabatedly following after their sinful inclinations? He says why. They set their minds. Their thinking apparatus. On the things of the flesh. Before new birth, particularly... People have an unsaved, fleshly mindset. They think as they ought to think, as spiritually dead people. But Paul goes on. But those who don't live according to the flesh, th those who live according to the Spirit, where's that coming from? says they set their thinking apparatus they set their minds on the things of the spirit now if you would turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 2 for a moment listen to Paul here Starting with verse 11. Who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him? So also, no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we apostles, revelatory spokespersons commissioned by Jesus, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God in order that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. And what do we do with it? We impart this. How? In words. Words that ultimately are not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. Now, the natural person, the unregenerate person, does not accept the things we speak. That is, does not accept the things of the Spirit of God because they are foolishness to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually gotten at or discerned. So Paul says here, in, in contrast to a person who is not born again, in contrast to the natural person who does not accept the truth of the Scripture, he says the Holy Spirit changes the believer's desires so that they love the truth and think about the truth and comprehend or grasp, get 
the truth. And so just as the believer's initial act of saving faith leads to a transition in the mind, that's true. So their ongoing Christian life from that time forward is a lifelong process of renewing the mind, right? Romans 12, 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your thinking apparatus, your mind, mind noose. That's the noun. What do you do with that thing verbally? You think. You use it. Think, think, think about these things. So Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart your affections you shall love the lord your god with all your soul you shall love the lord your god with your thinking apparatus with all your mind here's the main verb of our text here's paul's command in verse 8 think mull over all the time, daily in your life. Draw conclusions from the following eight words. So first, think, Christian, constantly think, constantly be obsessed in your mind about what is true. Now that's stunning right there because Paul had the audacity to assume there is such a thing as truth. And he means it. And there is. And that's so big. God willing, that is next week's sermon. But for right now, he says, think about, consider what is true, which at least means what Jesus prayed in John 17. Father, your word, and he meant the written Hebrew scripture. Your word is truth. Now, what Paul says here, I think he definitely means more than that. He doesn't only mean the revelation of God in Scripture. He says, whatever is true, comprehensively, meaning be a person who seeks to get to the bottom of things. I mean, there's there's lots of stuff. So particularly that stuff that matters in your life. Is it true? I mean, before... You sign up and become a member of the Flat Earth Society. Think! Wait a minute. Is that true? 
There might be knowledge and ways to get at the truth of whether the earth is flat or not. So this last year, when it comes to government shutdowns and a virus, the COVID virus, be a person who thinks. When it comes to the vaccine, be a person who thinks, but at least think. I would totally recommend the vaccine for many differing people in their circumstances. And there's others, I just, no way. But, okay, right or wrong, but be a person who wants to get at the bottom of stuff. And then when it comes to personal relationships with people, be about truth. Did you understand them? Ask them. Tell them you think this is what they mean or their intention and say, am I right? And then listen to them. And if they have any track record of trustworthiness, be about what is true. And in the church of Jesus Christ, it's just throughout the New Testament, truth is of utmost importance to always be on guard against falsities. False doctrine, deceptive doctrine, like critical race theory and all the stuff that comes with it entering the church world today, like white privilege and standpoint epistemology. You just need to, you're way too white, Chris. Sit down and shut up because someone else with a different skin color will read the, the scripture and reveal a truth that you cannot get at. Okay. When this stuff enters the church, think about what is true. And when it's attacking the core of Jesus' body, don't be silent. Secondly, like I said, we're going to come back to truth next week. Think about whatever is honorable. I mean, what is noble or dignified? No, no, what's worthy of respect? Now, in our day and age, oh, how important, I'm sorry, is how that's going to connect back to biblical truth. Because we've got a world in the culture turned upside down of what ought to be respectful. This is the same word that describes when, okay, you're going to elect deacons or, or, or elders in the New Testament. It's the same word. They must be men who are honorable and respectful. Okay. In other words, as opposed to at the core, in other words, they're not vulgar. There is such a thing as holy and there's such a thing as vulgar, whether this society believes it or not. He says, think not about the vulgar. Don't let that obsess you. Don't be driven by that. There is that which is ugly in the human race. Think about what is honorable. See honorable people and say, I want to be like that. And when you're around vulgar people, I, I really don't want to be like that. Third, think about justice. Think about whatever is just, meaning whatever is right. 
as opposed to morally wrong. Not legally, morally. There are lots of laws that are immoral. Justice is defined by God. Morally, what is right, what is wrong. Abortion is legal. And so in a justice system, we say, nope. Justice-wise, they're allowed to do this here in this state. But abortion is definitionally unjust. Killing of an innocent human being. Just be a person who cares about justice. Is capital punishment just? Think about such things. Is it just for these provincial governors and legal system in Canada, is it just when they're putting pastors in jail for holding church services? Be a person who thinks about justice because at its core, God loves justice. So should you. And he hates, contextually in our culture, social justice. And so should you. Because when you modify it, as that worldview has, it undoes the word justice. Justice means do not cheer for the rich person over the poor person. And do not cheer or favor the poor person over the rich person. There is a right and a wrong in that court case. Go for justice. Love what is right. And so if this or that or the other thing is just, the command to us is think about what's just. Implication, love what's just. Next, Paul says, think about whatever is pure. Meaning innocent or Morally pure, holy. Let, let your thoughts be pure. Let, let your words that come out of your thinking apparatus be pure. Let your actions be pure. Especially in sexual matters. Think about whatever is pure. And think about next, whatever is lovely. Now, this word that he uses here, this is the only time that word is used in the New Testament. It could be translated something like, think about whatever is sweet or gracious. You know, when we run into what you will today, well, what does that mean? Who's to say? Okay, you, you already know that the person's got some very large problems. 
There's something about sweetness, something, something about beauty. The old philosophical argument, is there such a thing as beauty and ugly? There is, because there's God. Think about what's lovely and sweet. What do you fill your minds with? I'm going to be very careful here, but There's a difference. Look, I am, I, am, I am for watching movies that even have sinful sex in the script and have violence in the script. Okay? But when there are movies that, that have gratuitous violence and you fill your minds with that, I just want to put up caution flag. When you have movies that make fun with and glorify sinful sex, that's a whole different thing. And if you say it's just a movie, then you're showing how unbright you are about the effects of what you feed your mind. That might come up in home group. Whatever is commendable, think about that. I Meaning admirable. There are things that should be admired. There are actions that should be admired. And there are actions and things that should not, by a Christian, be admired. In other words, what he is saying here with this word commendable is the stuff, the ways of life, the, the way people live, the things they do, their behaviors. Think about that stuff that, oh, should be well spoken of. Nothing to be ashamed of there. That's what he's driving at. So here's Paul. Think about, ponder, focus attention on such things. And then he says, let me sum it all up. If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, that's worthy. Think about it. Well, that's praiseworthy. Look at that kindness she just did to that other person in need. Think about it. God, can, can you help me be more like that? That's praiseworthy. Be a person who loves to praise that which is praiseworthy in people, in things. In beauty, think about these things. Let your mind, Paul says, be active. Active. This is part of Christianity. Active mind about stuff. About true, just, honorable, commendable, lovely, sweet, pure. And then verse 9. What you have learned, okay, that's the mind active with Paul's teaching, and received, that was the mind that says, I welcome what you're teaching. And what you have heard, just redundant, there it is again, I've heard your teaching, 
And what you have seen in me, Paul, ooh, watching Paul walk as a Christian. Verse 8, think. Verse 9, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. The use of the mind leads to practice. It leads to sin and it leads to good doing. Here, Paul's plea, use your mind on purpose, constantly in your life, Feel it, renew it, for out of it flow what you do, how you live, what you practice. Proverbs 4.23, watch over your heart. No one can see your heart, but we actually can. Ultimately. It's very simple. You want to know what a person really believes in the, at that hour of that day? What, where, what, you want to know what a person really desires and what they're driven to? And it goes for every one of us, good and bad. Just watch what they do. Just watch what they do. Just watch how they live. It's all of us. You know the old saying, words are cheap. Words are precious. But what we mean by that is what? We'll see. Right? Yes, I take you as my beloved wife. I love you so much. Okay, we'll see. And we can go on and on to the most simple stuff. That's why Jesus says where your money is, that's where your heart is. No, I really love you. You, you own everything in the entire universe. We'll see. Where am I? Let me finish the proverb. I didn't finish it. Chapter 4, verse 23. Watch over your heart with all diligence. Why? Because from it flow the springs of life. It's where our actions come from. And so, all right, let me just wrap her up in. What we... What we want, isn't it, who walk with Jesus is we want to walk in the larger context here in peace. He says, with the God of peace. We, we want to walk in peace. We don't want to walk in constant anxiety and confusion or depression. And therefore, in order to have that, God's Presence. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. His presence is essential for us to have strength and to have tranquility. To have contentment. It, His presence, ongoing presence, is necessary for our spiritual stability in life. But 
That will not happen apart from disciplined thinking. Producing disciplined living. Holy living flows out of right attitudes, right thinking. And those things of right attitudes, right thinking, truth, the gospel, prayer, are constantly acting. And if you don't need it, I need it. They're acting as a, as a policeman over our sinful inclinations in flesh, over our conscience. Truth, what's pure, what's lovely, what's commendable. Fill your mind and your conscience toward the opposites of those will grow stronger. That's why Paul laid out the priority of what you think before exhorting how you practice, how you live. What you've learned and received and heard and seen in me. Practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Discipline your minds. Discipline your actions. And one way Paul says here, by following models. Like Paul. Or earlier he said, like me and those who walk like me. If you're pursuing Jesus, and, and, and the stronger the Spirit's working in you, you will discern in life, in church life, wow, look at that person. I, I want to grow to be more like that in that area, that. And you should want to emulate. Ask them, help me. How can I become more like that? Because... As Paul says, I think it's Galatians, bad company corrupts good morals. Good company with good thinking produces good morals. What did I say? Bad company corrupts good. Yeah, that's correct. So, why do I bring it up? Practice these things. What you have seen, Paul says, in me. Be drawn to people who are following Christ, not to those who aren't. There you're just, you're an evangelist. And so, with that, I want to I wanna close with, with a quote from... Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones from his book, Spiritual Depression, Its Causes and Cures, and commend the thinking and the modeling of disciplining the mind and the life by looking to others. Quote, I defy you to read the life of any saint that has ever adorned the life of the church 
defy you to read anything about them who is walking with Christ without seeing at once that the greatest characteristic in the life of that saint was discipline and order. Invariably, it is the universal characteristic of all the outstanding men and women of God. Read about Henry Martin, David Brainerd, Jonathan Edwards, the brothers Wesley and Whitfield. Read their journals. It does not matter what branch of the church they belonged to. They have all disciplined their lives and have insisted upon the need for this. And obviously, it is something that is thoroughly scriptural. And absolutely essential. And so Paul writes to us, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, or if, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you keep some on the same path of disciplined life with the mind and with the actions, and that you would be renewing again afresh others to get back to discipline of what they think and how they think and how they practice. Do it for us. We are so desperate for the work of your spirit. Oh, blow, blow in us, your saints. Blow through us new desires, holy desires, commendable desires, pure desires, true desires, desires for justice. Blow through us to the glory of your name and to the peace of our hearts in our world.